You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. <laughs> This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. We burn more coal per head in open grates than any other country, creating filth, poisoning the air. Yes, what goes up must come down. Unfortunately, this comes down on our lungs and on our curtains. Special filtering bunny masks are the latest weapons devised to combat smog, which last winter killed 4,000 Londoners in a single week. Dogs as well can be protected against the deadly fumes, which throw a heavy pall across Britain's big cities every year. Ordinary fog does little harm, but smog, a mixture of smoke and fog, has become one of the greatest mass murderers of modern times. That's what podcasts sounded like in the 1950s. It's true. They, they are our ancestors. Exactly. We stand on the shoulders of giants, definitely. <laughs> I didn't realise that smog was a portmanteau of smoke and fog. I never realised that. There you go. Yeah, I've learned something. And also, I'm seriously considering getting one of those masks for my dog. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think no dog should be without them. <laughs> well, that was, uh, that was how they solved air pollution back in the day and air pollution's what do you we're think they really be- had those funny voices in those days or do you think they just sort of made them up there must be a few um tories in the house of lords who sound like that maybe still. that's true actually jacob reese mogg maybe yeah yeah he, he long everyone sounded like jacob reese mogg in the yeah. 1950s hey before we get into it i wanted to mention this uh, another tory is it tim lawton Lauten, yes, Tim Lauten. Who says that he takes a one-hour bath. bath every day and that's how he clears his mind. And I was wondering, are you a bath man or a shower man? I'm a shower man. Really? Get it over with, you, you know. You don't enjoy a soap? No, no time to waste. You probably like the steam because you, you want to clear the passages. I know that you're struggling this week with a, with a cold. A little bit of a cold, yeah. So you, you brought with you some cold defence. Yeah. Okay, do you think this works, or it's just you think it's a you think it's just a load of old bunkum? Well, I just, I just think there is no cure for the common cold, and I think they'll I think sell it you does stuff help that. to sort of 
ward it off, but maybe it's maybe it's psychological. Did you um do you ever have to get up in Parliament when you're feeling just awful like you're about to drop dead? There was one Prime Minister's questions where I basically had lost my voice and the night before and there was I had this sort of kind of slightly mad dash around the kind of hospitals of London, or at least somebody from my office did, trying to get some kind of and, and eventually we found some sort of steroids which bring your voice back. Uh-huh. Um, we found some doctor at the, in the middle of the night. And, uh, Are you sure it was a doctor? Was he in an yeah, alleyway? Quack doctor. <laughs> uh, no, and, he, and, and up to about 11.15 in the morning, all the people were convinced I wasn't going to be able to do Prime Minister's questions. And then sort of gradually my voice came back. And I, I think I said at the beginning, well, I'm a, you know, I've got a bit of a sore throat. But it, it, I sort of got through it. I just sounded a bit... Sort of husky, probably the best lager in the world. I didn't really want to have to cancel. Right. And just sort of disappear. Because people would have said I was having a breakdown or something. Right. Which on that occasion Which you I wasn't. <laughs> I, um, Ed and I went uh, for a little stroll yesterday. And somebody came up to you in the street and asked, uh, "Can I get a photo?" I think you better explain the content. That sounds kind of weird. Well, Ed and, Ed and I went were, for a little it was, it was stroll. A lovely, it's mean, a lovely was... autumn day, and Ed and I thought. What, what, hand better, in hand. what better is there to do this afternoon than go for a little stroll? So we're strolling quite Admiring close. Admiring the leaves, we were, the birds it's singing a, in the trees. It's a beautiful season. Um, so, so we were strolling close to the Houses of Parliament and somebody came up and they were very excited to see you and said, can I get a photo with you? And you were very uh, magnanimous, you said, of course. I took this girl's phone. I took what I thought was a great photo. I gave it to her. She took one look at it and sort of pulled a face and then did a selfie instead. We we sort of did did trouble you. Yes, I feel like I took a perfectly good photo. What what is wrong with it? What was her problem? I don't really know. But maybe maybe, maybe she had her eyes shut, or maybe I had no, my eyes no, shut. It was a good photo. I checked. I took. I did that thing where you take two just to be. But sometimes be sure. there's more of a sort of cachet with the selfie, isn't there? I don't know. I mean, I'd... to be honest, you were in the sort of somewhat in the kind of spousal role in the sense that <laughs> Justine absolutely well finds it quite tricky when I'm going down the street and then somebody recognises me not because she cares about that mm. but because she finds herself just sort of standing there mm. thinking you know and I sort of introduce her and then the person is like tends not to want to talk to her pretending to, to be interested and yeah. it's sort of always a bit it's a bit kind of awkward mm. you don't want to be my spouse I don't think I, I don't think no, so no, no. I mean, despite I'm, our stroll in the yeah, I'm happy with in, the, in the autumn <laughs> leaves on the trees, birds singing and all that. Uh, so what do we have coming up? We're going to be talking about air pollution, which is why we played that clip at the uh, beginning. We're going to be talking to Andrea Lee from Client Earth. They're a really good organisation that took the government to court over air pollution and any action that's being taken actually came because of their two court cases against the government. We're going to be talking to an advisor to the Norwegian Minister of the Environment. Norway is pretty damn good on this uh, stuff. And uh, they've got really great uh, advanced and electric cars on on Norway Street. So we're going to be hearing about that. And then we've got Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London. We are going on a day trip. We are going on a day trip, strolling through the (laughs) autumn motsets to City Hall uh, and talking to him. This is very exciting. It is. And um, Sadiq sort of started his political career as an MP sort of in in your gang, didn't he? Same year. He was my agent when I was running for leader. Uh, he's a really great guy. I think he's actually doing a brilliant job as mayor of London. He's got his tea charge coming in uh, on the day this podcast goes out. It starts on uh, Monday. 
so that's a new charge and we'll be talking to him about that and the wider issues of air pollution and probably one or two other things as well it's so wonderful that he still takes your calls he did it was actually his your call that he took wasn't it <laughs> it was oh jeff lloyd okay fine i'll yeah, be interviewed yeah. by him With, uh, and who's the other one yeah exactly yeah. uh and um, also uh pitching ideas for reasons to be cheerful this week we've got a brilliant comedian amy annette she does a fantastic show called what women want and uh, she'll be joining us and um you you will be saying yes or no to her suggestions i'm sure i'll be saying yes so jeff tell us your reason to be cheerful this week all right this is um this is quite a serious reason to be cheerful. Okay, well, I'm going to be very po-faced then. I am a revel man. I enjoy revels. Some people say that the revels are a chocolate for somebody who, who is afraid of commitment, that you're not committing to any one particular chocolate. But I enjoy the variety. Do you think that's true? No, I enjoy the variety. I think variety is, is the spice, the spice of, life. of life in a, in a chocolate. So anyway, I was eating spice a bag of... of life in a chocolate. Yes. I'm not sure what that's what they're saying, essentially. But anyway... Um, it go? I was eating this bag of Revels the other night and I, I plunged my hang, hand into the bag. It was one of the one pound grab bags, not one of the little ones. And out came... You ate it all yourself? Yeah, I did, yeah. Right, crumbs. And now you're making me feel... Crumbs, even... I think. Yeah. <laughs> Has that become a thing I said yet? it naturally. No, no, I just <laughs> said it naturally. <laughs> We've had a few people tweet the word crumbs to us. Yeah, so we, we like, like crumbs. Slowly catching on. Anyway, I plunged my hand into this bag of Revels and out comes, and I'm gonna, I've saved it for you. I've saved it in an espresso cup. Out comes this. Oh, my Lord. Do you want to describe that to the listener? Oh, it's like a small cocktail sausage. Yes, uh, it is. Of a um, revel. Yeah, and, I mean, it's some it's kind exactly of... exactly like a small cocktail sausage, isn't it? It is. It's some kind of aberration. It's covered in chocolate. I, t- I tweeted a photo of it. Somebody said it looks a little bit like an earplug as well. Yeah. Um, but I have no idea what is inside it. It's a very special... Revel, what could it be? Could it be a big raisin? Could it be lots of that orangey stuff? I mean, what what is in there? Don't you want to cut it open? I do. I think you should do that. Should we do that live? Well, I I don't know if I have an implement to to cut it open with, so maybe biting into it. Okay, go on, go on. Okay, I'm quite afraid. Okay, go on. Saving this revel for some days. Go, go. Do you want to guess what it is before I bite into it? No, I I think just get on with it. Okay, there we go. Oh, what do you think? It sounded sort of Malteserish. It's a good guess, but it's the orange fondant. Wow. Yeah, look at that. I wish I'd saved it. Do you think that would have been worth something? Well, you could send the half of it to the Revels people and see and say, you know, this is half of a cocktail sausage-shaped Revel. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel quite lucky that I got it. I don't know if it's going to bring me good luck. Which so is- so um, Revels, Minstrels, Maltesers. Mm-hmm. You prefer Revels. Oh, yeah, but because you get a, you get a Malteser in the Revels anyway, and some people say it's it's a whole other type of Malteser. I disagree and with minstrels that. minstrels are just too boring. I, I, th- I think so. I'd rather have the... I mean, I like a minstrel, don't get me wrong, but I'd rather have a variety. So, are, you, are you a Revel man yourself? I am. So the the what Revels brings to mind is there's this um, confectionery machine in the train station in Doncaster, and sometimes when I'm waiting for it, where my constituency is, sometimes when I'm waiting for a train, I sort of stare at that confectionery machine and i sort of have that dilemma do you buy the revels or not mm. i have occasionally i confess bought revels from it but on balance i try and sort of resist um but one day the confectionery machine had changed and i said to the train guard what, what happened to the previous confectionery machine it was just like a modern version i thought they'd sort of upgraded and he said that what happened was that 
some extremely ingenious thieves had come and said to the train staff, oh, we're the people who empty the machine. Could you just help us lift this machine <laughs> out, out of the train station? So all of these train people were obviously like, oh, these you know guys are having to come and you know take it on their van and they obviously don't have enough help. So they all helped them to put it on the van. And then meanwhile, these thieves made off with the confectionery machine. I mean, that wow. is the perfect crime, isn't it? It really is, yeah. They Not that we're encouraging it to any listeners who might be that way inclined, but... I always think about that when I when I look at that confectionery machine. As you often do, As I often staring do. longingly. Yes, exactly. So what's your reason to be cheerful this week? Mine is a little bit more serious than your oddly shaped revel. Uh, so I was at the Pink News uh, Awards this week. Uh, the P- Pink News is a paper for the LGBT plus community. It's been going for about 12 years. Uh, it's online and it's a sort of campaigning, reporting and they have an award ceremony each year. And yesterday, they gave an award to Chris Smith, Lord Smith, who was the first openly gay MP. That was 30-something years ago. And, you know, to be honest, sometimes those awards things are a bit sort of ho-hum. But it was really quite inspiring to um, to to listen to him and to talk to him because, you know, Sometimes, and you know, in a way, this is the point of this podcast. We say reasons to be cheerful because there's lots of reasons to not feel cheerful about the world. A slave abolitionist said this: this thing that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And when you look at what what the the strides we have made, where were we in the 1980s when Chris Smith was vilified for coming out? He was the only MP who'd done it. He faced hatred. You know, he he talked very movingly. He got up at a meeting in rugby, I think, and said, "My name's Chris Smith." I'm the MP for Islington South and I'm gay. And then you had heaps of abuse on him. And, you know, now we have out MPs in every party. I was sitting at a table with Justine Greening, who is the first out female cabinet minister in the Conservative Party, first out female Conservative cabinet minister. You know, it's the world has changed and it's changed because it's just right. Yeah, and there's, it doesn't mean to say there isn't further to go. Rights for transgender people, you know, countering homophobic bullying all around the world. We were supporting this thing called the Kaleidoscope Trust, which campaigns around the world against laws on homosexuality. So there is further to go, but you know, the the world has been absolutely transformed from when I was growing up, and I guess when you were growing up. Yeah, well, that's a great reason to be cheerful. And can I interest you in the other half of my oddly shaped? Rebel? Oh, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> Reasons to be Cheerful, a podcast about ideas with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Well, we're joined now by Andrea Lee from Client Earth, which has actually taken the government to court twice over air pollution. Andrea, it's great to have you with us. Hi. Uh, tell us, first of all, why did you take the government to court twice and, and, and what was the effect of it? Well, it's a sad state of affairs that the fact that we have had to take the government to court twice. And basically, it's been uh, because we, have, as a country, have failed to meet legal limits of air pollution, specifically on nitrogen dioxide, which is a harmful gas that causes a lot of health problems. And unfortunately, um, there was a deadline in 2010 where the UK had to meet these legal limits. We failed that. Um, the government then failed to take the appropriate action as as required. Um, and it really, we had no choice. Tell us, Andrea, just from your point of view, as somebody who knows a lot about the problem, how would you characterise the scale of the problem that we have here in the UK around air pollution? 
Well, I would call it a public health crisis. It's a tragedy that basically the air that people are breathing in towns and cities across the UK is causing them harm. And most people don't even realise that. Some people might think, sure, in a town or city, I don't expect to breathe the same sort of air that I would get in the countryside, in the highlands or whatever. Um, but they don't actually realise that this is actually damaging the health. You know, right from the time that we're in the womb, it's affecting pregnancies. It affects the development of children's lungs, um, which then causes uh, problems later on in life. Um, it can trigger heart attacks. And actually, um, one of the biggest health impacts from air pollution is through um, cardiovascular disease, so tra- triggering heart attacks, strokes. Um, obviously, it then exacerbates respiratory conditions, increasing the risk that people will end up in hospital. It's and it's 40,000 deaths, premature deaths a year. That's what the experts say. Is that so that's right? one of the latest estimates. So the Royal College of Physicians and the Royal College of Paediatrics and Child Health estimated that the uh, health impact of air pollution as a whole in the UK was causing the equivalent of 40,000 premature deaths a year. And is that like in terms of... Life expectancy. So is it people dying younger than they, they should be by a couple of years? Or Am I wrong in thinking the figures I saw today was about 10 years on average for each person that dies? For the it's most not, vulnerable, it's, yeah. It's not. I don't think it's just sort of shortens your life by six months or right, a year right. or something. I think it's quite... I mean, it's quite it's oh. very complicated and uh, right. it affects different people. So some, at the most extreme, it could be 12 years. For some, right. for some it might be a few months. Right. Now, tell us this. You've taken the government to court twice. I think you're thinking about threatening to take the court a third time. Are they getting to grips with the problem in your judgment, in the judgment of Client Earth? From what we can see in the plans, they're really passing the buck down to local authorities. You know, they, 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 the experts are telling them what you need to do, these clean air zones. What they should be doing is uh, working with local authorities, but mandating them and saying to them, look, this is what you need to do. This is how we're going to help you do it. Obviously, we need local solutions as well. Um, but yeah, we're really worried that there's really not that much detail. They're also not giving enough detail on the national policies that need to happen. So, you know, we're still incentivising people to buy diesel vehicles. So diesel is better for climate change, but worse for air pollution, yeah. basically. Yeah. So uh, diesels tend to be more fuel efficient. So and therefore, per right. mile, they produce less carbon dioxide. But at the same time, they produce more particulate matter and they also produce emit more what's called nitrogen oxides, which includes the sort of uh, nitrogen dioxide as a harmful component. And a vehicle's the lion's share of the problem. Is there stuff to do with industry or business or the way we're conducting ourselves domestically? Or is that just tinkering around the edges? The vehicles are the important things to address. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, there are all a so- uh, number of sources of air pollution and we would like to see action on everything. But the government's own analysis shows that where we've got illegal and harmful levels of air pollution, 80% of the problem comes from road transport. You give them the government a pretty low grade what about Sadiq Khan how's he doing um well uh to use a pun I guess the mayor of London has been a breath of fresh air in that sense um he's really since uh been in post he's really shown that he's he's acknowledged that the problem is severe and he's made it one of his priorities so we really welcome a lot of the announcement that he's made starting from you know um starting to uh improve the alerts telling people that there's a problem because even though in, in London there's been a lot of media about it there's a lot of people who still don't really think that it's a problem for them so uh with the alerts um with um looking at how to improve the ultra low emission zone uh, bringing in the the T charge next week um really big bold steps 
And and looking around the world, we're speaking to someone from Norway. How how are they doing? They've got lots of electric vehicles. Yes, so they're seen as world leaders, really. Um, you know, they started as far back as the 1990s in promoting um, electric vehicles and making them cheaper than the, you know petrol and diesel cars to buy. And and you can see that if you put the right incentives in place and use fiscal measures in the right way, you're you're helping people make cleaner, healthier choices. Just one other question. You know, this is obviously a very serious situation that you've outlined for us today. But there are lessons from history, aren't there, which suggest it's not impossible to do something about it. We've had these, not exactly these problems, but similar problems before, and we've tackled them. No, exactly. And we've been here before. People will still remember, or some people will still remember, the the smogs that we had back in the 50s and even to the 60s. Um, And um, that was caused by the fact that and many people in London and other cities still burnt coal at home. We had factories, we had power stations. Um, but people got together, they campaigned, MPs, medical uh, professionals, and we established the Clean Air Act, and that started removing coal from towns and cities. So we can do this. Um, it's not an insurmountable problem, but we need the political will to drive this through. Andrea Lee, thanks so much for joining us. Jeff, I hope you're not feeling too gloom-laden about that. I, I was thinking of eloping with you to the Highlands until that last bit, but uh, I'm, I'm feeling slightly more optimistic now. I'll, I'll consider your offer. <laughs> don't, don't call me, I'll call you. <laughs> so we're joined now by Jens Frolik Holt, who is an advisor to the Minister of Environment and Climate in Norway. Jens, it's great to have you with us. Great to be with you. Let me start by asking you this. Norway is among the best when it comes to reducing uh, deaths from air pollution. And it, it's got about half the rate of, of deaths uh, compared to the UK. Why has Norway succeeded where we haven't, do you think? Well, we've also had problems with air pollution in the past. Uh, but we've had quite stringent um, environmental regulations for at least two decades when it comes to industry. And we've also done um, a lot of things on the climate policy, uh, uh, which also has co-benefits for air quality, like our electric uh, car policy, which uh, it's a it's a subsidy for buying electric cars, uh, but you know you you cut the uh, CO2 emissions, but you also increase air quality. I think I'm right in saying that uh, your electric car performance is is the best of anywhere. Uh, in the world, I think you've got about something like twenty times more electric cars per uh, inhabitant per ten thousand inhabitants compared to the UK. How have you been so successful uh, on electric cars? Well, we were lucky in a sense that we high we had extremely high um, sales taxes on cars uh, ten years ago, and then we changed the profile uh, of of the sales tax so. That buying buying an electric car became extremely much more uh, profitable, uh, and they also got special advantages such as free parking spaces and free charging. Um, and ten years ago, uh, it didn't do much to to change the sales. You, had, you saw a little uptick, but then in recent years, more and more models has have become available, and they are selling uh, selling very, very quickly. And I think around now we have nearly a 50% uh, share uh, of new car sales uh, being hybrids or electric cars. And if I may ask, what has been the driver for this in Norway? Because you've obviously got a better performance than us. Uh, you know, you're, you're doing well in other ways as a country. But what has driven this? Is it is it popu- the, the population saying that they were 
uh, worried about the health effects of air pollution and climate change? Or has it been central government or is it a combination of both? What, what, why has it happened? Yeah, I'd say it's, um, I'd say it's threefold. I mean, uh, firstly, we had a technological development that has made, made it possible to use these technologies. And that's partly because we've invested a lot of in, in R&D, but also because of, I mean, the international move towards greener technology. Um, and um, secondly, we've, uh, I mean, we have had a, a tax system which has uh, incentivized the green behavior uh, for a long time. And thirdly, we also had um, I mean, regulations and uh, uh, yeah, like more boring stuff like emission standards and, and low emission zones in place um, for some time. So I, yeah, there's a lot of different factors, there, well, but they've, they've played out well, nicely together. Finally, um, Ed is famously a big fan of the Norwegian band Aha. Do you know anybody who could introduce <laughs> him to Morten Harkett? No, actually, but, but I think uh, Magne Furuholman was also played in the band. He's he's quite into the um, the environmental uh, policy things. Uh, he's been quite visual in the Norwegian debate. And I also say that uh, Morten Harkett, he was also one of the first people to promote use of electric cars in the early 90s. In Norway, with the environmental organizations there. There you go, Eddie. He's a well, kindred, maybe kindred that spirit. Is our way to, maybe that's our way into to, uh, yes. to, to Morton Harkett. Uh, Jens, yes. it's really kind of you to join us. Thank you so much for telling us about Norway's experience. Thank you. All right, so we've come on a field trip to see Sadiq Khan. Hello. Welcome to City Hall. Welcome to my office. This office is amazing. I mean, you've got one of the best views in London over Tower Bridge. You've brought somebody with you. Yes. And uh, I, was, I, I was told I'd get a professional broadcaster, Jeff, doing this stuff. And you mm. brought your mate. And I, I, I can't, well, was I'm, really, I'm not responsible for it, him. It was, was really nice of you to agree to, to do it. I know you and Jeff really cooked this up between you. And it was nice of him to bring me along. Well, I can think. I just say, I'm not responsible for him. Everything else in my office I'm responsible for, but you brought him. <laughs> he, he said this is the only way he could get you to return turn his calls <laughs> yeah that's true exactly how does this compare to your parliamentary office ed it's it's slightly nicer than my parliamentary <laughs> office but he deserves it he deserves it good to see you ed. so you're enjoying it loving it honestly it's, it's now month 17 and uh you know mayor of my city born and raised here uh, get a chance to do things you know no, forget no two days are the same no two hours are the same um i'm thoroughly enjoying the challenge it's been a tough summer um but you know that's what you sign up for but i'm really enjoying it and you were with paddington yesterday so I said no two hours are the same. So 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 yesterday morning I had the pleasure of uh, spending time with uh, Paddington Bear. Uh, by the way, Paddington Bear, a metaphor of modern London, flees Peru because of an earthquake. Yeah, comes to London. Brown family take him in. Um, so yesterday was Paddington. Paddington two comes out very soon. Uh, this morning began with the head of MI five. So no t- two days start the same. Um, but it's no, it's, that's the diversity of the job, um, and which I'm thoroughly enjoying. Now, look, one big thing on your agenda, which you've shown leadership on, is air pollution, which is what we're talking about this week. We're, we're, we're speaking on the day that a Lancet Commission report came out telling us that 9 million people across the world died from pollution in 2015. That's three times more deaths than AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria put together, and 15 times more than all wars and violence. I mean, that is the scale of the global problem. How do you see the scale of the problem here in the capital city in London? I mean, air quality is a health crisis, and that's the way we've got to talk about it. There are more than 9,000 Londoners, more than 9,000 Londoners die prematurely each year because of the bad air. There are children whose lungs are underdeveloped. 
adults suffer from dementia, stroke, and people like me get adult onset of uh, asthma. So it's a killer and it makes you sick. And what is... You've had asthma in the last... Got it in the last few years. Diagnosed at 2015. And no problems at all my entire life. And uh, the experts say 40% of us who get uh, asthma, it's because of the air. And so it's a serious health crisis. uh, And no one's doing anything about it. And, you know, it's something that's a source of concern to me. Um, But also it's an issue of social justice. I know, Ed, you and I talked many, many occasions about social justice. The people who suffer the most are the poorest Londoners. And there's a piece of research, Jeff, which is quite remarkable, undertaken when Boris Johnson was the mayor that was buried. And we've published this report. And what it shows is that there are more than 400 schools in London in areas where the air is illegal. And in these schools, more than 80% of the kids are on free school meals. So for me, it's an issue of social justice. It's a, it's a health crisis. And we're taking action. And uh, you mentioned schools you know, I've got two kids at a London state school, primary school. You've got two kids at a state school, secondary school. I mean, you must worry about your own kids, because I worry about mine as well. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it's, this, this is a big issue. You mentioned, uh, you know, other diseases, and the Lancet report is a good addition to the evidence base we have now. But literally, literally all of us, our children, uh, my mum, your mum, our friends and family are breathing in stuff that is killing us and reducing our lives. And here's the scary thing. You can't see it. Right. So... Um, you know, particulate matter, uh, NOx, nitrogen dioxide, is invisible to the naked eye. And so you're breathing this stuff in without realizing you're breathing it in. It's going into your lungs um, and it's causing us real problems and no action has been taken. And the, th- the thing that should really make us angry is the government's known about this for years and taken no action. Uh, previous mayors have known about this and taken uh, no action. The evidence and science is there. And, you know, the question I'm asking myself is, are these the same conversations had 30, 40 years ago about smoking? Yeah. Probably, uh, yes. With no action taken. That's but, why it's so important. But but why is it? I mean, th- these are horrific numbers. I don't understand why this stuff isn't on the front of the newspapers every day. Well, I mean, a number of reasons why. Because the easiest thing to do is bury your head in the sand. Look, if it was the case that you could see the soot, you could see the noxious stuff, the public would be saying to people like Ed and me, take action. Because you can't see it, and because some of the solutions are difficult, are challenging, just duck it because you can't uh, see it. I'm not willing to do that. And one of the things that, you know, I think there is a reason for us to be cheerful, forgive the pun, is you know, I've studied what previous politicians have done in previous generations. So, for example, in the 50s, um, there was the Great Smog. You literally couldn't see um, what happens. You know, Churchill, the government, you know, passed the Clean Air Act. It leads to difficult decisions being taken. Power stations moving out from inner, inner cities. Leads to not being able to burn the stuff you want to burn in your fires. Leads to all sorts of change being made, but ultimately leads to lives being saved. And similarly, we need a new generation of brave politicians who will take action to do with the noxious stuff we uh, we can't see, but we breathe in. So tell us what you're doing. This week, you've got the tea charge coming in. Just tell us about that for, for people who don't know what, what it's going to mean. So we're doing a whole host of uh, things in relation to cleaning up the air. The thing we're doing this week uh, will will lead to us having you know the most far-reaching uh, emissions surcharge of any city in the world from Monday the 23rd of October. If you have the most polluting vehicle, uh, in broad terms, you can go to the website to see if your vehicle is, you know, is, is caught by this, but in broad terms, if your uh, vehicle is older than 2006, uh, you have to pay an additional tenner to come into the congestion charge area. You pay £11.50 for the sea charge area, so you'll be, you have to pay £21.50 if you're going to come into uh, central London, why? 
because your vehicle is the most polluting vehicle and it's causing huge uh, uh, problems. And we've done some work around this. Uh, we, we've, we're already seeing a change in behaviour. We're already seeing fewer older vehicles coming into central London in advance of the T-Charger beginning. We're hoping to see real behavioural change. And what this is leading up towards, Ed, is uh, from 2019, we will have the world's first ultra-low emission zone uh, in London. The T-Charger already is pioneering. No other city is doing this stuff. And the idea is this, look, half of this uh, poison stuff comes from vehicles, half. I'm doing my bit as the mayor to reduce that stuff coming from vehicles. But the government's got to step up and do much more for the other half. And that's why it's and Tell us about what this ultra-low emissions zone, again, for people who don't quite know the technicalities here, what will that actually mean, an ultra-low emissions zone? So the way to think about it is, look, I mean, in broad terms, from Monday the 20th of October, uh, you can only drive into London if you're what's called a Euro 4 type car, basically a car newer than 2006. The ultra-low emission zone from 2019, we're hoping, will, will mean that unless your car is the cleanest car, what's called Euro 6 or, or, or more, so diesel post-2015 or petrol um, uh, that's uh, that's not polluting, you won't be able to drive into central London unless you pay an additional fee. And then we're hoping to roll that out up to the north and south circular. And this will literally literally lead to half of the NOx and particulate matter being removed from the environment. So we've already done the work in relation to the modelling and the difference it will make. It's a good example of cause and effect, but also an example of politicians improving the quality of life of Londoners. And the, and the key thing about this ultra-low emission zone is it will cover a much bigger area. Is that right? It's not just the congestion charge zone, which is just right in the centre of London. It's, it's, it's kind of goes far beyond that. Well, 2019, central London. Uh, 2021, we're hoping um, up to the north and south circular. 2020, we're going to cover the whole of London for the bigger HGVs, lorries and coaches. And this is a part of a package. We're also, by the way, um, not buying any more diesel buses. All our buses are now either electric or hybrid. Uh, we've got in the dirtiest parts of London, low emission bus zones, the cleanest buses. We're spending records amount on walking and cycling, a frozen TFL uh, fares, more cycling uh, lanes. Working with Westminster Council, hoping to pedestrianise Oxford Street. It's part of a package of making London the cleanest city in the world. So with the revenue raised from the charges, are you able to do stuff around air pollution with that? A really good question. So the, the, so the T-charge won't make us money. It will uh, won't bring in additional revenues because of the cost of, of, uh, of implementing and enforcement. It will change behaviour. The ultra-low emission zone, um, depending on how much behaviour we can change, may bring in revenues, and that revenues will be saved to improve the quality of air. We're not going to use those revenues for other things I want to do. We're going to use it for transport. and encourage, We've got to encourage people to walk, cycle, use public transport much more than they currently do now. We've got to encourage people to think about when they order stuff from the website that's delivered to their work. We've got to think about logistics. We've got to think about a change in behaviour. I want the powers to cap the number of minicabs in London, private hire vehicles. I haven't got the powers uh, now. We've got to think innovatively about where people live, where people work, where people study, where people play. Our population is rising. It's currently 8.8 million, by 2029 million, by 2030, 10 million. Growth per se is not a problem. You've got to plan for that growth, and that's what we're doing. Tell me about this schools thing, because um, you know, I think lots of parents will worry not just about the, the, the route to school that their kids take, but what happens when they're actually at school. And yeah. you eloquently talked about the figures. 
Is there stuff local councils can do? We'll talk about central government in a sec, but is there stuff local councils can do? I've been so impressed by uh, what parents have been doing already, putting pressure on their schools, what head teachers are doing, what councils are doing already. It's part of a package of uh, measures that we can do and we are doing. We're supporting a number of schools across London, a number of boroughs to take action locally. Give me, let me give you some examples. Uh, schools and teachers can encourage parents to walk to school, not to have uh, engines running. You can have screening, uh, basic O-level photosynthesis we did will remind right. us that you know, you've taken, suck in the bad stuff, put out the bad stuff, uh, put out the good stuff, really important. You can change the entrance and exits of, uh, exits of school yeah. to yeah. stop them being in polluting uh, areas. You can change where the playground is and reconfigure. There's a, there's a sort of a, a menu of things, schools, governors, teachers, parents, councils can do, and we're supporting them right. by giving them uh, funding to do so. But what you don't want to do, and we, I saw this in a school I went to recently in Islington, you encourage parents and children to walk to school, but they're walking on roads where this yeah. poison stuff is being emitted by vehicles. And so it's part and parcel of a package of us working with uh, councils and schools and others to improve the environment around uh, London. Now, you said earlier that central government's got to play its part, and I completely agree with you. What, what do they need to be doing? I mean, one thing that strikes me is that they've said they'll ban diesel and petrol cars by 2040, uh, new new um, uh, production of those cars or sales of those cars. That seems like an awfully long time away, 23 years. I think Norway's doing it in 2025. India's doing it in 2030. I mean, we can do better than that, can't we? Well, the, the good news is at least they're not in denial. I mean, there was a, there was a period of time where I thought yeah. they were in denial. So, of course, they can do much more. The way, the way I feel as... The mayor of London is, you know, I'm doing all, all I can, literally. There's nothing else left yeah. for me to do, but I, I'm doing it with one uh, arm tied behind my back. So the other 50% of the bad airs caused by uh, construction, caused by the River Thames, caused by housing. So what the government can do is uh, two things. One is, you and I will remember previous uh, governments previous experts, for very good reason, by the way, saying move away from petrol because of carbon concerns, yeah. uh, carbon emissions, and move to diesel. And that, at the time, was good advice. Why? Because carbon emissions from uh, diesel are less than they are from petrol. What happened was, uh, you know, families, charities, businesses bought diesel. So what I'm saying to the government is you need to help these families, charities, and businesses by a diesel scrappage scheme. Uh, to help the poorest families and business move, businesses move away from diesel. That's the first thing they and can do. And they could do. do it in the autumn statement. Very, got the uh, autumn statement next month, they could be doing it then. Absolutely right. I've written to Philip Hammond and I've met Michael Gove and say it's a very simple thing you can do which will uh, change the, li- the lives of those of us who live in cities but also all parts of the country. The second thing they can do is we need a new Clean Air Act uh, that's fit for purpose for the 21st century to do with construction, to do with uh, the, the river, but also to do with uh, the fact that you and I both are concerned about one of the consequences of us leaving the European Union is the regulations, the monitoring and the enforcement that currently exists from the EU will no longer be there. And so, you know, we've got to make sure there's a new Clean Air Act that addresses us leaving the EU. We don't want to, you know, have a situation where we go, our air gets even worse. One of the reasons, by the way, the government's responded with this plan is because of a court case brought by Client Earth using EU legislation if that EU legislation wasn't there, that court case wouldn't have been brought, we wouldn't have had this response. And so the two things, diesel scrapper scheme, Clean Air Act. Thank you very much, Sadiq Khan. My pleasure, Ed. Cheers, Jeff. Nice to see you. You're listening to Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze... 
relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We would love to hear your thoughts on the stuff we've talked about today with Sadiq and Jens and Andrea. You can email us reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. You can tweet us at cheerfulpodcast or find us on Facebook at facebook.com stroke reasons to be cheerful podcast. I've just been uh, trawling through the inbox, Ed. Uh, just a few messages here. First one comes from Prasenjit Lal, who says, I just wanted to recount an occasion many years ago when I spotted Ed. Uh-oh. <laughs> this sounds bad. <laughs> I was attending a play at the National Theatre in London with my girlfriend at the time. That sounds all right. So it's something, high high culture, it's a cultural event. And uh, with a girlfriend at the time and her parents, we were watching some Shakespeare play. I can't remember which one. I think it was the one where they eat poop. Which one is that? I think Presenger's memory is already faulty in my view. (laughs) Whilst finding our seats, I noticed Ed and his partner in the audience. I was gesticulating to everyone that it was him and how excited I was to see him. We briefly made eye contact and I received what I can only say was a look of absolute disgust. I put this to the back that of my mind. That does not sound like me. Says, I put, Honestly. I put this to the back of my mind and imagined it was just the malaise of being spotted in public. After the performance, we made our way to the bar before heading home. Whilst walking to the exit, I spotted Ed again in the theatre restaurant. Mid-forkful, he looked up. It wasn't a sandwich then. <laughs> we made eye contact again. He gave me the same look Boris Johnson would give a zip wire. I just want to... Paul present it up on this because surely that look would be is that a publicity yeah, maybe, opportunity maybe, that's, maybe Boris Johnson likes it was maybe I was <laughs> nice to him I honestly I'm I'm I am well obviously not on this case maybe I was in a bad mood that day but I tend to be try to be incredibly nice to people when they approach me in public I mean is that because they don't try and sort of you know punch me or anything is, but, is this because you're very needy to be liked yeah probably you have a deep but, seated yeah, need probably. to be liked yeah I'll lie on the couch momentarily but but um so I present you, I, I can only apologise profusely. And if I ever see you at the theatre again or anywhere else uh, where they're eating poop I'll uh, or not, I will be really nice to you. Do you have any theatre trips planned in the near future? 
that I can tell Presengit about. Uh, maybe you could... Uh, I'll uh, bear it in mind. Say, why don't you accompany me? Uh, yeah, <laughs> okay, I think there might be an apology too far. <laughs> this one comes from Pierce McKeon, who says, Hi, guys. We have Obamacare. We even have the Boris bike, which I call the Kensicle, by the way. It's not quite yeah. as it's not quite as catchy, but um, he says I feel it's time Ed put his name to the energy price cap, perhaps the milli cap. Although perhaps better options are probably available. Thanks, Pierce. What do you think of that? The milli cap. I mean, doesn't it sound like a sort of contraceptive? I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, I, I, don't, I don't I don't want to sort of look a gift horse in the mouth here. <laughs> um, and I, Pierce, I'm really grateful, mm. but. Can we think of something? Maybe, maybe, maybe other people have other ideas. I mean, I, li- I like the idea of having a sort of policy named after mm. me. You know, it's sort of good for the ego. Mm. Um, is it just me that I, I thinks know. it has slightly contraceptive sort well, of? Let me put it this way: What if it doesn't happen with the energy price cap, but we do hear from a, a manufacturer of sheaths, and they oh. say we we would happily go with that name? What would I get out of it? <laughs> the final one this week comes from Amanpreet Kalon, who says hi. I just wanted to tell you that Ed Miliband is my weird crush. Oh, that is very weird. I mean, I think there's medical help available for Amanpreet. I've always fancied him. He is a hottie, funny and passionate. Oh. I wish he'd become Prime Minister. Oh, me too. I would have trusted him loads more than anyone else. Oh, me too. Not just because he's a hot nerd, but because I believe in his ideas. God, that was really nice of you to write that one, Jeff. Thank you <laughs> Thank you very much. You, knew I, mean, I, you, I, need, I, knew, you I needed cheering up, have a bit of a cold, you know. <laughs> I suspect that you're setting up multiple email accounts here. Do you think it's like bot, Edbots? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like this sort of, you know, Russian, the Russian interference. Cambridge the, Analytics. Two, exactly, yeah. 2016 presidential election. Look, I think you're on to me. I think, mm. I think you're on to me. Look, there is one more that I wanted to read, and that's from uh, Colin Anderton. Mm. Um uh, he says, uh, great podcast this week, gents. The two of you work really well together. That's nice of him. Uh, wanted to hear more about Manic Miner and Jeff's love of text adventure games, but appreciate it was off topic. Uh, he then talks about, uh, he works in a business that supports the property sector. So he's interested in the episode, last week's episode on uh, rent controls. He basically says the fundamental problem is we're not building enough homes. I tend to agree with him. Um, but then he goes on, and this is the thing you know that really caught my eye. Uh, anyway, he said, that's me getting way more serious than I ever meant to. For what it's worth, I never completed Manic Miner on my spectrum, but I was awesome at Horace Goes Skiing. Were you a fan of Horace I don't, Goes Skiing? I, it's news to me, Horace Goes Skiing. It was one of the ZX Spectrum classics. It really? was a, a little pixelated monster going down a ski slope. Did you play Horace Goes Skiing? I, I think I played a little bit of Horace Goes Skiing. How were you? Maybe we should have a Horace Goes Skiing off between us. We should do a live show. We should. With a screen on stage and two ZX Spectrums. How does that sound? That is a, when we go on tour, that is a good idea. Yes. We could do, maybe it's like Manic Minor, mm-hmm. Horace Goes Skiing. And then one other. Best out of three. Best out of three. I Do you remember that ZX Spectrum? There were various magazines devoted to ZX Spectrum. I, I, I used to get one called Your Sinclair, which my nan kept for me at the local news agents. And they had a feature in there called Desert Island Discs with a K. And when I was about 13 years old, I, I sent off my um, computer games that I would take to a desert island and it got printed. Oh, we must find and it. And I was supposed Have to get a prize. Got it? No, I haven't still got it. There was supposed to be a prize. I was supposed to get the top 10 Spectrum games that month and they never arrived. But that's terrible. The injustice. Is this a campaign you could get behind? I t- totally free the Spectrum one. The, uh, the, so it's called Your Sinclair magazine. I think so, yeah. Can't we find the the um, the editor? Your top ten, <laughs> the editor maybe. <laughs> uh, he's still alive, or questions. she's still alive. But 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 no, don't you think we can 
find the. I'd like to get the original. Your original letter. You're thinking maybe we should take a trip to the British Library. Perhaps we should. Send us your ideas or suggest a guest for a future episode. Email reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook or tweet at cheerfulpodcast. And here to pitch ideas which could potentially be reasons to be cheerful. We're delighted to be joined by comedian Amy Annette. Hello. 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 Thanks for coming round. Um, before we get started, I wanted to ask you about your show. It's What Women Want. That's right. That's the name. It's also a terrible film with Mel Gibson and Helen Hunt, you may remember. Yeah, I just found it on Wikipedia as I was looking you up. Yeah. Uh, sorry, embarrassing No, admission. listen, my SEO rating is not higher than suddenly, the film with Mel Gibson. I suddenly thought you'd been in a film with Mel Gibson. Hey, I thought, wow, what, what a varied career. <laughs> I'm kind of obsessed with the film What Women Want, actually, because it starts with this amazing female character, Helen Hunt. She's about to be... Uh, chief of all she surveys in this advertising company. And it's because of that that Mel Gibson, who doesn't get the job, gets so angry. He gets electrocuted in the bath, suddenly can hear what women think, that's the result of that, uses that to trick her into A, falling in love with him, B, getting her fired. The end of the whole story, I'm sorry for the spoiler here, guys, he knocks on the door and she's like, come on in, baby. And she wants him and his emotional baggage. Like, that is her journey. Oh, oh God. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm no neuroscientist, but I didn't realise that the effects of electrocution were quite that. Well, Jeff, let me tell you, <laughs> in the Nancy Myers universe, yes, it is. Um, and, so, and tell us a bit more about the show then. So, sure, don't use your one time on a podcast to talk about the Nancy Myers <laughs> film. Fine. Um, the show is called What Women Want, and I interview comedians, uh, as it stands, comedians, because I think they are both observers and very observed, like they're on stage, they know what it is to be sort of quantified, but they also know what it is to sort of look out and see what, you know, is funny to poke out about the real world. And I talk to them about misadventures and misconceptions around what women want. So we've done things like what women want is to be treated like a princess, or what women want is a beach ready body. So we sort of tackle it, we all respond to it, then I interview them. Right. And it's it is funny most of the time. I mean, I, I would love a beach-ready body, but sure. I don't, I don't think you're not that the... far away. <laughs> I hey, think I'm Jeff, a long, I'm a long. You way have away. a body. You find a beach. You got a beach-ready body. That's very much. <laughs> is that, that's how I should be thinking about <laughs> yeah, it. Exactly. Right? And is it yeah. partly about the audience interaction, or is it about their lives? Or it's a combination of the two. So it's loose in so much as people can bring material and talk about how they have observed. But a lot of the time, people end up talking about their personal experiences. That's what I find I do too. And, and are the panels always women? No. Tend to be at least one dude. And do you electrocute the dudes in advance? Yeah, no, midway through. So right. we try to compare what right. they think. No, I went to this um, comedy thing with my kids at the weekend. It was honestly that audience was a particularly brutal audience. So, so there was one comic, and for some reason he was telling a story about um, being naked in W. H. Smith. And this seven-year-old in front of us, my kids are eight and six, suddenly shouts out, did you have your willy out? <laughs> and, and, and basically, the poor guy, slightly sort of on stage, you could see him just thinking, well, that doesn't normally happen. Wow. I had some women having a lovely time with some Prosecco in our last one. And Mae Martin was talking about a really lovely moment. And... They started joining in and I was able to be like, I'm so sorry, please, can you respect the artist? But I don't think you could say that to a seven-year-old. <laughs> what do you say to a seven-year-old? And one of them made the mistake of saying, my uh, parents always told me to say no to strangers. But of course, this taught all of the kids in the audience to just start shouting no <laughs> at the poor comedian. 
Who said then said, "Oh well, I've now realised the rule of kids' comedy is never to ask a question." I've been to one, and the most successful person was doing a story about vomiting, and then just kept pretending to vomit, and that really killed. Oh, that's good kids material for that. kids. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, on balance, which is more brutal, comedy for kids or Prime Minister's Question Time? Comedy for kids, I would say, honestly. Right, so good but training. But actually, being a politician speaking to kids mm. in, my, in my constituency, that primary school kids in particular, it's not easy either. I've always wondered about that when you see those sort of photo shoots in schools and you see the kids sort of running to the gates to say hi. Do, are they told in advance what's going on? Yeah, so, somewhat. They um, tell them that um, Ariana Grande is right. coming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Amy, a couple of ideas. What do you have first? Um, because I was thinking a lot recently about Me Too, which is the hashtag Me Too thing, which is where people are sharing stories of sexual harassment that they sort of kept to themselves. And as usual, there's sort of two sides to the story. One side is that actually, although it was Alyssa Milano of Charmed, of course, actually it was a movement that was started by Tarana Burke two years ago, a black woman in America. She's brilliant. And she started it. So there's a whole story of co-opting a movement. But also there's this response to it, which is very much people saying, uh, oh, I can't believe this, you know, loads of statuses and comments and sort of news pieces about people saying, I cannot believe this is true. Why didn't you say something well-meaning, but quite frustrating. Mm. And it reminded me of the forced plinth. You remember in Trafalgar Square. This is where they would rotate the, uh, the An individual. Well, yeah. yeah. And they, I think it was Gormley had a thing where he had someone stand on the plinth and be representative of someone in the UK. Mm. And I would like an, a sort of countrywide equivalent of that, where whatever type of person it is, Everyone else has to shut up for a day and we have to listen to this person who normally gets spoken over. So it could be women, it could be people who are who are in certain jobs, it could be everyone who feels like they're never listened to for a day. Everyone else has to just be quiet. It's always amazing to me how many people are willing to espouse their own opinion and what life is like for a certain uh, type of person in society rather rather than actually listen to what they've got to say for themselves. Well, I did this show. So the show used to end with a Q&A with the audience and the man in the front row looked around, was obviously like, oh, I can think of something, put his hand up and he was like, well, what about men? And he was like, well, we just did 40 minutes talking about the fact that these kind of conversations are not platformed or valued or heard not that the other stories are less important, but they're just heard more. Mm. And so I just feel like there's a sort of space for just shutting up, basically. And in the Black Lives Matter movement, there's a whole thing about show up, shut up, which is about being an ally, but not taking the noise. Yeah, but it's really interesting you should say that because um, when the Black Lives Matter movement started, people were sort of saying, you know, what's this all about? They don't have a set of demands, et cetera, et cetera. But actually, it wasn't about a set of demands. It mm. was about being heard exactly as you say yeah yeah and a lot of the time it's like we will have demands once you recognize our life experiences are real it's not about kowtowing to your system of politics it's about showing you that that system doesn't suit us because we're not heard within it well i would like to put myself forward to speak on behalf of the gingers as and when okay. this day comes despite the fact that i'm largely gray these days but you know i was I've gonna lived, say a bit I've, of sort of ginger what you could say there's, of, there's still a bit in there yeah Ginger plus. <laughs> Ginger plus. <laughs> That's a very polite way of putting it. Um, what else you got, Amy? So my other thought is I'm really interested in this idea of taking up space. It's about the idea that you don't have space naturally, that you kind of, people feel like they're entitled to a certain amount of space from really massive things like who is heard, but also down to things like who gets the armrest on the tube. Oh, right. that is quite difficult. Yeah. It is. And things like if the tube is really full, 
who feels like they have the entitlement to push on. This is all about tubes, but I'm sure the problem also happens on buses. I mean, it's also interesting, isn't it? When do you get up for somebody and when do you not? Because sometimes it can be insulting to get up for somebody if you're sort of basically saying, well, they're not that old, but you're sort of getting up for them. But on the other hand, not getting up is not good either. I love getting up for somebody. I love looking like a hero. The important thing is not to lose the eye contact because that's the reason you do it. Yes. It's for them to smile with their eyes at you. Yes. So if you look and then away... You look, and then you look triumphantly around the rest of the yeah, carriage. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, well, it's a combination of triumph yes, and also it. I'm better than the rest <laughs> of exactly. Exactly. because I'm the one who did this. It must be hard for you, Ed, to do that because if you don't do it, people oh, then it's, have No, no, you're de- definitely. Yeah. You know, there he was sitting on the tube. Yeah. You know, there was a poor woman with a broken leg and yes. he didn't get up. You didn't see. Yeah. No, no, you're definitely... You basically can't sit down. If you don't want to give up your seat, the trick is to, to take a, a seat as close to the middle as possible because yeah. the onus really is on the people closest to the doors. For sure. Mm. Is that right? Yeah. Sometimes mm. when I'm tired, I will switch seats to a middle seat just so that the likelihood of having to give up mine is, is lower. I feel like this is a meeting of three neurotic minds. <laughs> yeah, it totally people is. people will be listening to this being like, I don't think about any of these things. Well, it makes a change from it being a meeting of two yeah, neurotic minds. Yeah. <laughs> I have a, a story that I should preface by saying I'm very happy about because it involves someone thinking I'm pregnant when I'm not, which obviously is everyone's worst fear. Mm. But to be fair to the person, I have a Bart Simpson belly. Like, I really just stand very comfortably like that. I stand like a seven-year-old boy, basically, on the tube. <laughs> Someone said, do you want a seat? So how did how did you react in the moment? Then? I took the seat. I felt like if I said, I'm not pregnant, that was going to make a whole scene. So I took the seat, and then I couldn't remember what pregnant women sit like. <laughs> and I felt like if I just, like, plop my bag on my... They're going to be like, oh, she's really... She needs yeah. to not do that. The baby is there. Yeah. So I spent a long time thinking, I think they spread their legs like was, <laughs> but that shows you're a socially considerate person but i remember thinking not just for them like i think if i was looking on i'd be like i don't know if she's pregnant <laughs> and so i needed to give everyone the peace of mind that this was a good social interaction and nice. i needed the seat and i was like thank you and then i just sort of hovered my hand over my belly i don't know what <laughs> women do <laughs> one day on it we have an email which is Almost on this subject, it comes from Nikki, who says, Hi, Jeff and Ed. I would like to put forward an idea which will make life a lot better. We have a fast lane on motorways. We have a stand on the right on escalators so those in a hurry can rush on the left side. I think we need to have a fast lane on paths so busy people like myself and others can get on with our life and not be slowed down by these slow walkers. Wow. I quite like it. There are there are places where people have mobile phone lanes in some countries where if you want to look down at your phone, you can go into a slower section. Is that I right? Read. Yeah. I mean, I do walk very fast. And everybody who's ever worked with me says... All right, stop showing fast. off. Sorry. No, I mean, it's, it's quite annoying, actually, for people. I just walk too fast. I'm a fast walker. Are you? My wife says I'm too much of a fast walker. Maybe yeah. this is what brought you together. <laughs> the Maybe fast walker. Yeah. United by our fast walking. There's an article on New York Magazine about a woman who like chronicled her not moving out of the way in New York, especially obviously a very fast paced city. I understand. Um, and she basically, she was pushed to the ground multiple times oh because God. people were just so like, like by body checking her, oh, not on awful. purpose, but just so sure that she would move out their way. She fell often. And it was a sort of story of like the different bruises. I mean, it's a depressing story, but it's kind of interesting. Like it makes you realize how often a lot of people spend their time ducking and weaving and making other people feel like there's nothing in their way. But actually you've just had a lot of people move out of your way. Something to think about. You're listening to Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. 
also thanks to Amy Annette for joining us this week. You can find Amy on Twitter at Amy Annette underscore, and you can find out more about her show, What Women Want. And uh, thanks to everyone else. Yeah, thanks to Andrea Lee, Jens Frolik Holt, and Sadiq Khan. Great to have Sadiq on the show, wasn't it? Yeah, great having these big, big beasts, they big call them. Beast. Big beasts. Who, who else do you know, Ed? Who else can we get on? Well, I know you. <laughs> I think we've got you that's already. Not in, that's not impressive. I was actually sitting next to John Prescott at something this week and uh, I explained to him what the concept of our podcast was and I think I sort of got a half a yes from from John. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, exactly. Do you think we can get him in here? I think, think so. We could set up a little croquet in the back garden. Oh, that's the croquet. I'd, I'm sure he'd like that, that joke. That could swing and, it for And us. also if you tell him the two Jags joke as well, I'm sure that'll, yeah. just, that'll, clinch, that'll <laughs> clinch the deal. That's even less tired than bacon sandwich. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And your know, listeners should tell us who they want to see on. We've already had a bid from somebody to have David Cameron on. We're sort of uh, thinking about that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, reasons at cheerful Do you have his po- number? Cheerfulpodcast.com. Um, I have ways of getting in touch with him. Uh, reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com to tell us uh, who you want to see on the show. By the way, keep checking your podcast feed. We're going to be putting out a bonus episode between this week's Reasons to be Cheerful and next. What it is, is deleted scenes from the Sadiq Khan interview. We had loads of time with him and we asked him about Uber and Brexit and housing and some other stuff too that we didn't get time to include here. So we'll be putting that out in between episodes and uh, I think we're done you can follow us on Twitter at Cheerful Podcast and find us on Facebook by looking up Reasons to be Cheerful Podcast and remember to rate us on iTunes and oh, all the other podcasts Ed, Ed is obsessed with getting us up that obsessed iTunes chart with ratings. he's emailing me at one in the morning saying we're, we're at number two how can we get to number one exactly <laughs> yeah, so my competitive instinct uh, so he's been Ed Miliband he's been Jeff Lloyd and these have been Reasons to be Cheerful When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money.